Hi, I'm John Moscow. And I'm Amy Halpern Laugh. Welcome to Ethical Schools, where we discuss strategies for creating inclusive and equitable schools and youth programs that help students to develop both the commitment and the capacity to build ethical institutions. Our guest today is Sylvia Canales, a first-generation Afro-Latina of Dominican and Puerto Rican heritage. Sylvia is college and career coordinator at the Brotherhood Sister Soul, a comprehensive and holistic program based in Harlem, working with youth from elementary through high school. She earned her master's in applied psychology with a focus in bilingual school counseling and guidance from NYU's Steinhardt School of Culture, Education, and Human Development. Sylvia's article about her work appears on the Ethical Schools website. We also recently interviewed Jason Warwin, Rosis's co-founder and associate executive director. We're happy to continue the conversation about Brosis today. Welcome, Sylvia. Hi, thank you. When do you meet Brosis members for the first time? I mean, do you get to know them before they begin the college counseling process? Uh, yes, I get the opportunity to meet our young people as soon as they enter the organization. So some of our members enter uh, at eight years old through our after-school program. And I work with them through uh, as young as eight years old. Some enter our program through the junior high school level, so either sixth or seventh grade. And I work with them at that stage. And then uh, usually the latest component when they enter is on our ninth grade. And then those who are in ninth grade, I work with them from ninth through twelfth. And when you're working with them, how does counseling coordinate with Brosis's other programs? Are the students also thinking about post high school when they're perhaps going through Brosis's Rites of Passage program or your liberation program or other activities? So yes, so educational achievement is incorporated in our entire programming. So whether you're in after school, you're thinking about college, we have um, our after school program, which runs with eight through 12 year olds attending college tours, visiting campuses and getting to know what's available out there. Our liberation program has college tours. All of our programs incorporate um, educational achievement. So even before they're meeting with me one-on-one, regardless of whatever program they are in, they're thinking about their education and thinking about their future and ways to, to progress. What are the college or career expectations that most students have when you start working with them, Sylvia? I mean, how do these change over time? So the career and college expectations of our young people vary, just like our young people vary. So you'll have some young people who come in as young as eight years old and want to talk about Harvard and Princeton as their dream schools. Um, one of the things that we'll discuss is, okay, if that's your dream school, you've picked the perfect age to start thinking about it. We look at the requirements of a Harvard or a Princeton or any Ivy League that they may mention, and we start to dissect what is it that these schools are looking for? What, is, what do they consider as a well rounded student. Um, so we have our young people look at that and start to build their portfolio to match those interests. Now let's say if you get someone who's in junior high school with the same, let's say, dreams of an Ivy League, we start to think about well, what's the importance of the high school that you attend? How do we ensure that the high school you're attending is providing a curriculum that's going to make you eligible for an Ivy League school? If we're talking to members who are in already in high school in ninth grade, 
um, we start to dissect what does the transcript look like. If we're talking to them as early as ninth grade, which is the best time I feel they're in high school as soon as they start the process, um, is to talk to them about now that you have a clean slate, that your transcript is blank, what do we want this transcript to look like to achieve whatever your dream school may be? or your dream career, right? So as the years go by, sometimes those expectations have to be tweaked based on how much work they've managed to get done during the year. So every year, sophomore year, we'll review again their transcript and see, okay, if Harvard was your dream school, how close are you to that? You know, if your average is in the 90s and you're participating in extracurricular activities and you're getting test prep, how are we ensuring that you stay on that level? If we have a student whose grades aren't um, at that level, who might be a C or lower, we start to identify, okay, well, what are the schools that would select you right now? Um, and we look at those schools and we look at what are the schools, you know, other caliber schools that you may want to get to. What, how does your average have to look like? What are the changes that you can make now in ninth grade, 10th grade and moving forward? So every year we do a review of where they are academically. But in addition to that, we do a lot of self-assessments. We want our young people to think about what are their interests? What is it that they want to achieve? What is it that they want to be? So sometimes an eight-year-old will come in saying, I'm going to be a baseball player and that's my dream and that's what I want to be. And it's like, okay, great. Are you, do you plan to go to college for that? And if you are, Still, what are the requirements that you need to get into college? So we're constantly comparing where they're at based on where it is that they want to be and, what it, and reflecting on what it is that they have to do to achieve those dreams. In addition, as they get older, we start to look at location. Okay, so you may have dreams of attending Columbia University and Columbia University is in your neighborhood. Do you want to stay in the city? Or do you want to go away? So that begins to change their expectations. Okay, well, now they want a school that's away versus a school that's nearby home. Um, do they want a school that's in the suburbs versus the city? Um, so those are things that we start to look at. In addition to doing self-assessments and self-reflection is what do they want to be? What careers are they interested in? Their interests change sometimes year to year, month to month. So we're always assessing what is it that you're interested in doing now? And then based on what you're interested in doing, do the schools that may have been your dream schools, do they offer that? Are those the right matches? Because that's what becomes important. As a young person gets older, we always want them to dream big, but we want them to be realistic. We want them to make the best fit and the best choice. For them. So that all depends on what their interests are, where their aptitude and abilities are currently at, and where they're trying to be, and making sure that we're making the best match for them. Yeah, I think that best match is so important. We see in a lot of for middle-class communities that this idea that the best place for every student is an Ivy League school can be quite destructive. Mm -hmm. Especially with the selectivity of Ivy League schools. You may have candidates who are eligible and candidates who would be perfect for the school, but the school doesn't have the capacity to take everyone that applies. So it becomes, you know, misconception that these schools are the only schools that will make a student be able to achieve their dreams. Right. As well, the Ivy League schools aren't necessarily the best choice for every student who can get in. Correct. There are lots of factors, I'm sure, that go into determining what students' school choices are, right? Yes. Uh, several factors such as finances play a role. Um, you know, how far they want to be from home, uh, what majors they're interested in. It's a variety of things. So many high schoolers are traumatized by the whole high school transition, college application process, the, you know, the competitiveness of it. How do you protect Brosis students from this ultra competitive and, and destructive mindset? 
Yeah. Oh, because it is very competitive. And that's one thing that we discussed from the beginning. We try to be as open with our young people as possible and let them know. And we show them things. We show them when a school has only a four percentile acceptance rate versus a 22 percentile acceptance rate. And what does that mean, right? Um, when they're applying for schools, we try to make sure that their list has a variety of selectivity. So they have some schools that are more selective than others. And again, it's about having that open discussion and letting them know that even if they are perfect for a school, at the end of the day, it requires, not everyone is going to be admitted to the school. So um, what it's based on does not necessarily have to affect, you know, how far they're going to achieve. So we always, we stay clear with that. We explain that to them and we go over the process together. And we recognize that, let's say a rejection or denial from one school is not a rejection in life. You know, it's just that school wasn't right for you. What about the SATs? I know some parents like these tests because they don't trust teachers to evaluate their children without bias whereas others say that the tests are inherently biased against low-income students and students of color. What has been your experience and that of your students? Yes, so we work predominantly with students of color and students from low-income backgrounds, and it has been a biased test for them. We have students who are high academically, high uh, GPAs, and struggle with the tests. Things that we provide SAT prep, um, as soon as possible. And also introducing the alternative. So many don't know about the ACT, but the ACT is another abscess that is available for students. They fare better at that exam. I was going to ask you, do you find a difference between the ACT and the SAT in what it means for students or how they approach it or how successful yeah. they are? With the young people that we've worked with, um, I've analyzed scores, and a lot of them, those who do very well in the SAT, end up doing very well in the ACT. Um, a lot of it is about tests being prepared and about finding preparation as possible. And our young people, unfortunately, if they don't take advantage of the preparation that we as an organization offer, they have very limited opportunities to prep. Um, so another thing that we've offered is an opportunity for young people to look at a test optional schools. So there are a lot of universities out there who are opening up opportunities to apply without having to submit SAT scores or submitting them as an optional standard of admittance. So we have our young people look at those schools too as potentials. And they'd be very highly selective schools that don't necessarily weigh their admittance heavily on the SATs. How much support do most of your students receive from their high school college counselors given counselors' workloads? How could high schools give more support to students in the application process? What would you like to see happening at the high school? Uh, at the high school level, I would love to see more support. Guidance counselors are overwhelmed. Um, a lot of guidance counselors work with 9th through 12th. And every year, our young people require a different type of assistance and a different type of support and different types of resources. And to ensure that each grade is getting what they deserve, every grade should have a different guidance counselor. Or every grade should have a grade advisor or a college counselor that focuses on that grade. I think when they have so many students, a lot of students, if they're not proactive about knocking on the counselor's door, they're not going to be able to receive the support that they need. So our young people rely a lot on our organization and the counselors here because they recognize that their guidance counselors are, while they would love to, aren't always able to provide them with the one-on-one -on -one support that they need. So as an organization, 
we partner with our, our guidance counselors. We work with our guidance counselors to ensure that they are aware of the young people that we're working with, that we are aware of how our members are doing academically, um, that we are kept abreast of how you know well they're doing in their classes and what support they may need. So that in addition to them, that we can find them additional tutoring or any academic services that they may need and require. Um, but yes, ideally, the school should provide much more supportive services because in addition to college counseling, it's only a part of the guidance that guidance counselors and social workers and um, support staff at schools can do. So the more personnel that they have, the more supportive of our young people would have. But currently, if our young people are not knocking at the doors and waiting for that support, they're just not able to get it. So, yeah. Does race enter into students' decisions about college? Of course, yes. We talk about those issues from the get. When they're applying to schools, our members are aware of uh, predominantly white institutions and how that would affect them. Because our young people come from low-income neighborhoods, the schools that they attend are usually predominantly uh, filled with students of low income and students of color, um, which is going to be huge contrast from what they're going to see at a predominantly white institution. So that comes up. Definitely the senior year when they are have decided what schools they're going to attend, whether it's a, a SUNY school or a private school, we talk about the percentages on campus. When we do college tours, that's one of the things that we make sure that they are observed and they're observant about what support services are there for young people of color once they hit campus. Once they're on campus, where can they find support, whether it be with small groups, whether it be with teachers or professors? Where can they find that support that they need? HBCUs have been growing as an interest for many of our young people because they want to mirror that support of people of color when they're in higher ed. However, one of the struggles that our young people have seen is that when while they are being admitted to the HBCUs, their financial packages are not as strong as they wish they were. And as the years go by, finances play a bigger and bigger role. Uh, college tuitions are going up, uh, room and board are going up. A lot of cost of attendance is increasing. However, financial aid is not. Government grants are increasing very little. Parents are expected to take out bigger loans. Young people are expected to take out loans for every year. And that can be scary for many people, especially people coming from low-income backgrounds who may not have savings to support them or collateral if they feel that they're taking out huge loans. So Race plays a factor, but I think even income plays a bigger factor, or the finances pay even a bigger factor. How does BROSIS continue to support members once they're in college, especially if they're attending out of town? Yes. So while our members are away, we uh, maintain contact on a semester basis. We send them love through care packages and notes, uh, but also their direct program leaders are in touch with them constantly. So at the minimum, we try to speak with them twice a semester at the beginning of semester to make sure that they are stable and that everything is working well, that their financial aid is set. Um, sometimes in the middle of the semester, just to wish them well for midterms. And then definitely towards the ending of the semester where we encourage them to send us their grades so that we can see how they're doing while they're away. Um, and like I said, again, we send them love through care packages, let them know that we're thinking of them and them well. During their breaks, one of the things that the college advisory program is incorporating are alumni workshops. So we have our alumni coming back to discuss how it's been going on campus. What are some of the support services that they have uh, taken advantage of? What are some of the things that they wish they would have taken more advantage of and will be once they uh, return back to school? Uh, we also try to provide you know, assistance and workshops that aren't necessarily offered at school. So we'll touch base on financial literacy, uh, mental health, and uh, just trying to ensure that the transition is a smooth one for our young people. Do most students feel they've made the right choice of college? 
What do you hear from them when they've come back to visit? <laughs> that varies. Uh, you have some young people come back and say, I've made a horrible choice. I made a terrible decision. I hate the campus that I'm on. One of the biggest complaints is the weather. <laughs> a lot of our students attend SUNYs, which are upstate New York, and it's uh, their winters are serious. So our young people <laughs> complain about the weather, complain about you know the neighborhoods that probably coming from New York City, such an overpopulated and busy town, to a place where they barely hear anything, or outside of campus, nothing is happening. So getting acclimated to the climate and the environment can be difficult. Um, that's usually the number one complaint. The second complaint would be food, you know, being used to a certain type of food when you're at home, a certain type of seasoning, a certain type of cooking um, that's not available on campus. So they miss that or they're eating the wrong things, which they shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be eating on campus. And then you have members who come back and think they cannot wait to return for the semester. So let's say they come back for a winter break or they come back for spring break and they're like, I cannot wait to go back on campus because they found their niche or they find a place where they can make a difference. or they found a place where they're literally growing and learning and and want to be on campus. So it varies. It varies a lot. Uh, We've had members who want to come back and have to transfer. And that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. They got the experience of what it was to be away. They know what it was that school, um, what it felt to be on that school, whether it's predominantly white or HBCU. And then they decided that they want to come back to the city. Either their family needs them or they need their family. And, you know, and it's letting them know that whatever choice that they make, we're supportive of that decision and we'll help them transfer and help them move forward. Um, And if it's something based on fear or something that's based on finances, that's another counseling aspect that we have. We'll have those real conversations. Sometimes members panic when they get their financial aid package for the following semester and maybe a scholarship they freshman year is no longer available sophomore year. So what can they do about it? Many times brosets have raised the funds so that we can provide scholarships so they can continue on the road to graduation. Um, ideally, we would love for a student to graduate with, from the school that they started, but for many, you know, that may not be the case. So um, while we do those semester and those quarterly check-ins, it's about making sure that they, they have the support um, that they require so that they can have not only a smooth transition, but a completion of college. Is there anything you'd like to add? Are there any you know, stories that stand out in your mind particularly that you'd like to share? Oh, I've been doing this work for such a long time. But, um, one of the things that I think we're very blessed to have is a lot of success stories. Even though they all may look differently, we have a lot of success stories, and that is a blessing. Um, I think of one of our most recent graduates who started off at a CUNY, she was so disappointed, did not want to go to CUNY, did not want to stay home. And it was just that conversation of it's not where you start, it's where you finish, and we can encourage you to finish exactly where you want to be. Um, so her dream school was to be at a SUNY, was to be at New Paltz, to be exact. She completed two years at CUNY and then was able to transfer and just recently graduated and that was amazing to be able to see her have that process that struggle from feeling like I'm not gonna be where I want to be able to now come back and and share with our current members the experience of being a commuter student versus the difference of living on campus uh we had another student who I thought came to mind when I asked um do they make the right choice? Uh, one student that came back her freshman year and we literally had to have conversations after conversations to explain to her that she would be okay. She came back, she panicked, she felt like the school was not for her. She wanted to come back home. And it was because she was home, when she was home, when she lived in the city, she was you know popular. She was number one in her class, number one, everyone in her neighborhood knew her. Now she was at a huge institution where she felt like she was just a number. And it was just reminding her like, this is just your first semester. <laughs> you are just a freshman, you will find your people, you will find your environment, you will find a place where you thrive. And she's another one who just recently graduated from school after she had, you know, after several semesters of convincing her, you can do it. 
you know, and then we've had members who've gone out to private institutions and have struggled, have struggled with race, have struggled with uh, the gender. If they're a young woman who's interested in the sciences, have struggled now what it is to be, you know, a minority, being already a minority, but then being a double minority when they're on campus and, you know, successfully graduating, going on to grad school. So it's been, it's a challenge. Um, it's definitely a challenge for our young people. And I feel that I'm blessed to be in a role where I can be supportive of them. Um, and only when one of many people who support them, you know, so to be able to let them know where we've been through, right? Because this is a, a situation that I had to come across being a first generation American and, and the expectations of my parents, um, immigrants to this country was I needed to graduate and I needed to go to college and I needed to be successful, but there was no blueprint. There was no one that I could ask. There was no advice that I could get. So to be able to be in a role right now where I have young people who are in that same boat who want to be successful, want to pursue certain things and have no idea how the system works, to be able to look back and and reflect and know what's going on now to be able to provide them that advice is definitely an honor. So thank you for allowing me to share a little bit about that. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Our website with articles and episodes is ethicalschools.org. We're on Facebook, Twitter, at Ethical Schools, and Instagram, Ethical Schools Podcast. Till next week.